great to be here with you today. So glad that you could join us and participate in this Sunday. I just got to say today that we realize that there's been a change in seasons. First of all, outside fall has officially arrived. Uh, We have cooler weather as well as a political election coming up here. It's a good sign that there's fall. And I'm just believing we need to pray that we will have the right people in the right positions. Can I hear an amen for that? But I also believe that fall represents a changing of seasons, and there's a changing of season here in our church, that today is the beginning of a brand new era here at Eastside City Church. If you're new to our family, you're coming, you're checking us out, you're arriving at a wonderful time. Why? Because we have a new rally cry. We have something that we believe in. It's called Becoming Church Together. That is our purpose here is that we would become church together. And here's what it means. It's a declaration of not only who we are, but also who we will be. Now, there are things in the world, as I jump into things here today, there are things in the world that you cannot stop or they're unstoppable. When Mother Nature lets loose her fury, all you can do is prepare and pray. Many of you have recognized that in the world around us, there's been a lot of different natural disasters that have taken place. We've had earthquakes. We've seen hurricanes that just have seen to ravage the Caribbean, especially in parts of the United States. And when those things happen, there is nothing you can do to stop it. You just have to prepare and pray that you will be out of its path. Now, I remember growing up that I faced one of those things in my life. I, I grew up in a little town in the state of Washington called Longview. And we were about 60 miles from a mountain. The mountain was called Mount St. Helens. And in 1980, that mountain became not just a mountain, but became a volcano. And I remember I was about 11 years old at that time, 11, uh, 10 or 11 years old, when all of that stuff was going on. And I remember uh, that actually four months before the volcano became active, I actually, with my uh, youth group, went sledding up on the hill on that mountain. And to think that four months later, it was going to become a raging active volcano. Now, I remember when everything started to happen, that there was a man who lived at the foot of the mountain. His name, he was named after a famous U.S. president. His name was Harry Truman. And he had a lodge that was on the mountain. And as things began to get active, Harry became very defiant. He was like, you know what? Nothing is going to move me. I will not leave. Now, Harry also had 25 cats in his lodge. So for those of you that are cat people, you're like, oh, that's great. For those of you that don't like cats, that lodge probably would have been a living hell for you. But he declared that nothing would move him or stop him. Well, unfortunately, this is kind of a sad story, uh, Harry discovered the power of nature. Because on May 18th, 1980, one-third of the face of the mountain completely disintegrated. And it took away Harry, his cats, as well as a lot of other things. I remember when the mountain blew up that the rivers around us became completely filled with mud and trees and houses. In fact, my stepfather had a home on the Toodle River that got completely destroyed and washed out by all the things that happened. And there were reports that were coming that, that where I lived, we had to be careful that the, the, the wall of mud was 50 to 100 feet high. It was scary. Now, thankfully, it wasn't true. It just ended up clogging up our rivers for a few years, which that wasn't cool, but most life was spared. You see, when those things happen, 
They're unstoppable. It was unstoppable. Today I want to talk to you as we continue becoming church together. Today we're going to focus on church or talk about becoming the unstoppable church. When we talk about church, we can make many statements. We can say we go to church, we meet at church, we like or do not like the church, or we look to the church. But here is the truth that I want you to understand. We are the church. Now, I want you to look at the people around you. Look at your neighbor. Tell them, we are the church. Okay, good job. And I've said this many times. Remember, church is not a building or an organization, but here's what it is. It is the gathering of people together focused on living for Jesus to make an eternal difference. That's what real church is. You and I together form the church, an unstoppable force. When I was 11 years old, I have to admit, this is going to be a little bit of confession time here this morning. I had a little bit of a problem in my life. I was a pyromaniac. I like to start fires. It started just hanging around the campfire, throwing things in, letting it burn a little bit. I, I, I was fascinated with it. By the time I got a little older, I actually was a fireworks modifier. I could take safe, sane, legal fireworks and turn them into explosive uh, pyrotechnic devices that were awesome and amazing. I, I, I enjoyed it. I loved it. But I have to say this fascination grew into me to a place where it was a little bit out of control in my life. I began to play with matches. I would find the matches in my grandparents' and aunties' and uncles' bathrooms. You know, they would use it to get rid of the odor. And I thought, wow, this is great. And I would light toilet paper on fire and do all that stuff. Well, one day I remember I, I decided to up my game. I decided to go a little bit farther. It was the middle of August, and it hadn't rained for over a month which is amazing when you grow up in Washington. It doesn't happen very often. And I remember going out to this field, this dry grass field, and I had some matches. And I remember I took a match and I threw it on the grass and I watched it burn and I stomped and I stomped and I stomped and I stomped it out. I was like, all right, that was, whew, that was cool. <laughs> I'm in control of the fire. So I thought, you know what? That worked out so good. Let's do it again. And so I took another match, and I lit it, and I stomped, and I stomped, and I stomped, and I stomped. Then I quit stomping because the fire got bigger, and it started to spread. Till eventually, the whole field was on fire. Well, I was scared. I was nervous, so I did what any uh, young kid would do. I ran. I ran. I ran into my grandparents' house, and I hid in my grandmother's clothing closet, Three fire trucks later, and after a talk to the firemen, I learned something that you got to be careful with fire, that it began to spread. It was unstoppable. So when we talk about the church, we have to talk about, well, how did the church start? Where did it start? How did it become what I believe God has called it to be that is unstoppable? We're going to read today out of Acts chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 41. And what, what has happened here in Acts, and the, the, the book of Acts, is really about the Holy Spirit being unleashed upon the planet. In Acts chapter 2, we see that all of a sudden there was a, 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 
the Holy Spirit was released upon people and they began to speak in other languages, some that were recognizable to people, others that weren't. And, and so what happened is Peter, one of the, the first leaders of the church, began to get inspired and he preached a message and something happened. And here's what happened in Acts chapter 2. It says, those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Who would say that was a good day at church? 3,000 people got saved and baptized, and here they were, the church was birthed. And here's what happened, it says in verse 42. That all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to steering meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They, were, they, uh, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity." all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day the Lord added, listen to this, the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So here we have Peter speaking, preaching, speaking under the power of the Holy Spirit. And people all of a sudden come and draw drawn and become followers of Jesus. There was a crowd that was there. There were admirers. There were even mockers, the Bible said. Those who were curious and those who who thought what was going on was silly and funny. And then there were responders. They responded to Peter, the man who a month, a little over a month earlier, had completely denied Jesus. When he was being asked if he was a associated with Jesus, he denied him over three times. And, and so he, he had lived in fear and he was running, but now something had changed in his life. And out of the boldness that came, he began to preach and 3,000 people became followers that one day. The fallout of this gathering was that the church was born. It was a flurry of activity They shared meals together. They sang and worshiped together. They met together both in the temple and in each other's homes. And as people had needs, they shared whatever they had. They took care of each other. They were committed to one another and were doing life together. I kind of pictured it like this. I have a little story here. And so you might have to kind of follow me with my little bit of my accent because I kind of figure in my mind this is how I picture what was going on in the church. Hey, Mac, I have somebody new I'd like to introduce you to. Yeah, his name is Mitch. Mitch, Mitch, come over here. Come, come sit here. Glad to have you as part of the family. Once family, always family, right, Mickey? That's right, Mac. Well, what do you need? Mac, what do you need? We have people here who can help you. Over here we have Jerry. Jerry's on food. Jerry takes care of it. If there's anything you need, you need some food, we're gonna take care of you. Maxine, Maxine, well, she's on clothing. If your your sandals are worn out or, you know, there's some holes that are there, we got people that can sew up those holes. Or better yet, if you need something new, we got it for you. 
And over here we got Merv and Merrill. Now, now, are you married? Are you married? Do you, do you have any kids? These people are here to help you with your family situations. They're here to talk to you about, just to, to walk you through just how to have a good marriage. You know, at one point, Merv and Merrill, they weren't doing so good. But Jesus has helped them. We want him to help you too. Margaret, well, she's part of the prayer team. And man, if you're feeling sick in your body, she lays hands on people and they get healed. It's an amazing thing. And Joe, well, he teaches people stuff about living like Jesus. You know, he actually met Jesus. He was around him. He heard what Jesus taught. And so he's teaching us what Jesus told us to do. Jack, well, he can read your mail. He can share stuff about your past, present, and future. This is pretty amazing. And we're here to help you. And we're ultimately here looking forward to you helping others because this is what we do. These people, through the power of the Holy Spirit, began a movement that started in Jerusalem and spread around the world. Many tried to stop it, religious leaders political officials, and even some of their rivals, they persecuted and oppressed those early Christians. You read about the gladiators and the lions. The Christians were fed to the lions. They wanted to just snuff out this movement that was going on, but you couldn't stop this because God is the one who ordained it, and it began to grow and multiply in other cities and communities. Because of their commitment and the love that they had for each other, it changed everything. Why church? What about the church? Our statement today is we are the church. God's idea. The hope of the world. I am part of something bigger than myself. I love that. Church is not man's idea, but it's God's idea. You know, there are a lot of people that today are having trouble with church. They look at church and they see all the flaws. They see the mega churches and the things that they think about, people that are lavishing things on it, and they look for all these angles to criticize the church. But I'm here to tell you, the church wasn't man's idea, it was God's idea. And it's God's plan, it's his tool that he's going to use to reach the world. And it's bigger and better and unstoppable when we work together. We'll talk about together next week. Church, God's idea, I want to talk about that for a moment. God decided that the hope of the world would be manifested through the local church or its people. Pastor, now isn't Jesus, come on, isn't Jesus the hope of the world? Yes, he is. Yes, he is the hope of the world. You're right. That is a correct answer. But my question to you today is, how does the world see Jesus? How does the world know Jesus? I believe this, that we are his body, or as the Bible says, we are the body of Christ. People see Jesus through the lives of his followers. The full measure of who Jesus is comes from the combined community of believers together. That when we are walking together and we begin to manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit, when we manifest who Jesus was, they begin to ha catch a glimpse of who he is and it's very attractive. Because Jesus draws people together. 
You see, when believers come together, some of us, what I'm saying is, some of us have different gifts. Some of us have different things. We represent him in different ways. Some of you have the mercy gift. You just love to help people. You'll give your right arm or your shirt for whoever needs it. It's how you show love. Other people have the love gift. You just are, you'll just welcome anybody into your home. You'll say, come on, let's make a meal. I want to show you how valuable and important you are. Others have the grace gift. You know what? It's okay. It doesn't matter how many mistakes somebody makes. You're like, you know what? God's going to help you. God's got his forgiveness for you. Some of you are warriors. You fight for things. You fight for truth. You fight for what's right. And so you fight for what people need to understand and what they need to know. Others of you are people that believe in the holiness of God, that, the, that, that to honor God and to live for him is one of the greatest callings that we have. And together we form the body of Christ. And people get a representation of who Jesus is because not one of us all by ourselves will fully represent the wholeness of who he is. I know firsthand how much of an unstoppable force the church can be. I remember when my mom was looking into this thing and we went from never going to church to basically living at the church. I've shared this story. But there were times in our, our life when, when we were searching and we didn't know things that people loved us, they fed us, they cared for us. And eventually it impacted our life because we understood that Jesus loved us and we couldn't help but eventually become those who wanted to share that love with other people. The church, the community, First of all, church is God's idea. Secondly, church is for everyone. It doesn't matter where you're at in life. There is room for you here. I say this at Eastside City Church. We're so glad that you're here. No matter where you think you're at in your life. Some of you might say today, you know what, I'm really messed up. Praise God, I'm glad that you're here because so am I. If it wasn't for the grace of God in my life working out his, his righteousness inside of me, touching my life, changing my heart. I, 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 I don't know where I would be right now. You see, the church is for everyone. It's for all ages. It goes from the, the birth to the grave. And, and one of the things that we're, we're building and we want to see that connection is our generational pipeline all the way from the nursery to, to, to those who are seniors walking together, working together, honoring one another. We talked last year about a message called Think Three, that we're not only to look at the generation behind us, but we're to keep looking generations behind us, two generations behind us or ahead of us. The church is for everyone. It's all nationalities, one church, many nations. I think Eastside City Church does a great job at, 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 at people seeing this, people from all over the world coming here together, worshiping God, loving God, serving God. And I want to say this today that I believe our impact as we move forward in the days and weeks and months ahead and years ahead as our impact is going to grow because what we've chosen to be, who we are as people, isn't always an easy thing, but it's a God thing. And we're gonna touch even more nations. All backgrounds are welcome here, whether you're rich or you're poor, whether you understand where you're at in life or you don't understand where you're at in life. God is here to help you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. 
And for everyone, regardless of where you're at on your spiritual journey, there is a place for you You here. I'm here to tell you today, if you don't know Jesus, we're just glad that you're here because we want you to introduce you to this man that changed my life and other people's lives. It's for people that are searching, struggling, those who are growing. There is room for everyone. The church is a place for people to go. And I believe it's important that we give room for people to grow as they're discovering more of who Jesus is, that we love them and we lead them by the grace of God. But church is also a transformational community. We hear that it is the answer to the problems of the world. There should be a sign, I believe this, above the door here. It says, if you have problems, we have answers. Through the word of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe this, that the Bible, through his people, gives answers to broken relationships. The Bible talks about how to deal with financial difficulties, how to use your finances, what the point of money is, and how we're not to let it get a hold of our heart, that it's the love of money that is the beginning uh, of all evil. It's not that you have money. It deals with self-centered living, family dynamics, inner healing. Whatever you can talk about in the Bible and through his people, we have the answers that the world is looking for. And who would agree with me that the world needs some answers right now? The world needs some help. Our community needs help. It's like the emperor right now is not wearing any clothes. And people are chasing after foolish things and the media just follows right along with it. But we are the answer that the world needs. So if the church is people, then what is needed? Well, the answer is quite simple today. And I want to challenge you. What is needed is you. You are a difference maker. You contain the hope others are looking for. You make change happen. Together, we form an unstoppable force. Now, I'm going to challenge you a little bit here for a few moments because I believe this. The value you place on the church is the value you place on eternity or eternal things. You're not just an usher today for those who are ushing. You're a change agent. You're not only a small group leader, but you're part of a movement that's bigger than yourself. You're not just on the worship team, but you are a difference maker And I could go on and on and on here. But you see, the problem is that a lot of times people put very little value on what happens or what we're doing as the church. They don't see their place in the community. And I believe that God is calling us deeper. I want to compare it to what happens at a sporting event because I believe that it shows the different places that people can be at. You see, I love watching games. Uh, I, I love going to games. I, my, my, my most favorite thing in the world to do that, that I consider fun is to go to college football games. I've been to stadiums, no word of a lie, where there's 100,000 people watching a game. And when that roar of that crowd happens, the hair on the back of your neck just stands straight up. It's an amazing thing. But what I learned when you watch a game there's three, there's, there's three different types of people. There's actually more, but there's three that I want to focus on. 
First of all, there are spectators. There are those who come to the game. That is the majority of people. Then there are the players, those who actually play the game. Now, if it's a professional thing, we have a very small group of people that actually control everything. They're called the owners, and they, 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 they run it. Now, uh, I, I want to talk just for a minute about these different people. Now, I, like I said, I love going to spectators or sporting events, and I, and I I'm, enjoy most of the time being a spectator. Well, that isn't as long as my team is doing well. When they're winning the game, I am a great spectator. When they're doing everything that I think that they should, I, I'm cheering. I'm, I'm like, you look at that. That's my boy. Look at him running there. That's awesome. But when things start to go south, I got to be honest, I'm probably not the best fan. I, I kind of get a little bit jaded. I kind of say things like, well, what's wrong with you, man? Can, do you not know how to run? Do you not know how to throw the ball if it's hockey? Can you skate, man? And then I take it a little step further. Well, man, the referees, look at them. They just don't know what they're doing. Do they even have a high school education? I, I don't know. And I, you start to question and challenge and I get naughty. At least I'm working on this. I'm actually a lot less naughty than I used to be. But that's the thing about spectators. You do see spectators really can do very little, if anything, to affect the outcome of the game. All they're there to do is they're there to either cheer or, or, or they begin to judge. And I, and, and, and I believe that, that, that we have to be careful because there's people that are part of the church that we, we, we can be spectators if we're not careful. Good people. But we come and we're like, well, what's, what's going on there? I, I just want to check out what's happening. I'm going to see, what, well, is this good for me or my family? How is this going to benefit me? Do I like the worship? Do I like the, the, the programs that they have? Do I like the preaching and the vibe that I feel? How about the pastor? How about the people? I, I just don't know. So, and, and so we begin to look at everything because we're not really involved in it. We begin to be like, I'm going to judge it, and we can become critical of what's happening if we're only spectators. And typically for spectators, we tend to stick around as long as things work out for us. We like it. I don't know if you've ever heard of the term bandwagon hoppers. You know, some people, my son, I coached junior high basketball, and all those kids, I'm like, what's your favorite basketball team? I could already tell you what they're going to say. The Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Why? Well, because they're the best. Well, next year, if the Cleveland Cavaliers win, they'll be like, my favorite team's the Cleveland Cavaliers. I've, been, I've liked them for two months, man. It's my life. <laughs> we tend to stick with things if we're only spectators as long as it, it benefits us. Well, what about a, the participators, the players? I remember when I was a kid, I would run some uh, races, and I was part of the generation that was let's the start of let's give everybody an award crowd. I thought it was lame then. I think it's lame now. You know, because I remember, you know, if the, the, the award that I wanted was I wanted that first place ribbon. I, I would run for that first place ribbon. I didn't really like running, but I like winning. 
And so I'd endure the running for the winning. But if I didn't win, don't give me a dumb participation ribbon. Eh, you showed up. <laughs> Participators are good people. They're good, good people. They have involvement. You know, they'll take some classes and even come to special events. They'll get involved in certain parts of the church. They'll even volunteer when it works for them. We'll participate in things that work for them. It's like when it comes to church community, if I talk about if we're just a participator, we'll do whatever it is as long as it doesn't inconvenience us a whole lot. I'll give it something. And, and I see that we, we forget the value that God places on the church. That he says, this is the instrument that I'm going to use to reach the world around us. That what we're doing isn't just for the now. It's not just for little simple things. It's for eternity. And I know I might be stepping on some people's toes here today. But don't get mad at me, get mad at God, because he told me to say it, I'm just obeying him today. Because I know there's so much more that God has for you as an individual, but also for us as a church. And it takes us becoming what I believe is that third person that we're called to become owners. Well, what's the difference between an owner versus the uh, participator? Well, it's the difference between being an owner and a renter. You know, I thought for a while that I was going to uh, buy some houses that I would rent to people. But you know what stopped me from doing it? I had other friends and family that had rented houses to people. And I watched what people did to houses that weren't their own. I saw the carpet destroyed. I saw holes that were pounded into the walls. And I'm not saying that. Some of you are renting, and I know you're not people like that. I'm not here to, to make fun of you, but there is a mentality that happens with a lot of people like, it's not my stuff, so I don't really care about it. It's why some people are leery about lending things to people because you know they're not going to treat it the way that you would treat it because you paid for it, you owned it. And I remember for myself when I became an owner of a home, you know, it didn't matter how ugly that house was, it was my house. And so you begin to invest your time and your energy into making that house nicer. You paint the walls, you fix certain things, you do what you can with whatever Money you have, why? Because you're fully invested in it being your house. And that's the thing about owners, they're good people. They're all in. They, they will do, when it comes to the church, they'll do whatever it, it takes to see people in themselves succeed. You see, their life is wrapped around building and reaching people. That's what the early church was, folks. When I read that, did you read that? They met in the temple daily. Every day they were together, linked up, walking together. And they make sacrifices, and they made sacrifices in order to see progress. You see, when you're an owner, you invest into it. You're willing to give up things. I know when we bought our first home, it meant no vacations for a while. Because that's all we could do. Because we wanted our own house. 
And they use whatever has been given to them. I believe this, that owners are an unstoppable force when it comes to the church. And I want to say this, I believe one of the biggest things missing from the church today, whether it's Eastside City Church or the church in general, especially in North America, is that we, that, that we don't have, we have, the thing that's missing the most is we don't have owners. That people that are willing to take ownership, that say, this is my house, these are my people, and I have an important job to do. That God has called me to something, and I'm willing to invest my life and my time into it, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to see it happen. My house. You can't talk about my house that way. You see, when it becomes your house and people start to criticize and complain, what you begin to realize, if you really break this down, if we're the church, that they're really complaining about you. But it's the pastor. But it's the small group leader. But it's this guy. No, it's all of us. So what stops us from being owners or becoming the unstoppable force? I'm going to wrap things up with this. I'm going to invite Margo to come up. It's fear. You see, we're afraid that if we really pour ourselves into things, that we're going to lose control of our life. That we're going to lose control. And I understand this. You see, there's two extremes that we have to battle against. There's number one, the extreme of I don't really get involved, I don't do anything, and what that leads to is selfishness. But the other extreme is I'm going to do everything 110%, and that leads to burnout. <laughs> but what God is asking us is for each one of us to do what we're called to do together, linking arms, moving, walking, living together in community You see, I'm afraid of something even bigger. I'm afraid of missing out. Missing out on what God has for me. Missing out of what God has for us. I believe today that God is speaking to some of you about to put on a new mindset, to maybe think about things differently. Maybe for some of you it's you're needing to take a new attitude in the way that you look at things. I'm here to tell you that when you're not involved, when you're not here, and I'm not just talking about Sunday morning worship attendance, but when you're not involved, you're missed, that you're valuable, that you make a difference. And there's a gap when you're not part of what God's doing here. And you want to know what's really cool? It doesn't matter that you've got everything pulled together. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to have all the answers. All you need is to have a willing heart that says, Jesus, here I am. Use me. That's all God is looking for. I believe this, folks, that as far as Eastside City Church, our best days are ahead of us. That there's impact that God wants to do in reaching our communities there's impact that God wants us to do in having a place and a purpose here in our city. There's 1.4 million people that are a part of Calgary. And I would say that only a smidgen of them are really followers of Jesus. 
You're so needed right now. Don't let the enemy lie to you and say, look, you don't make a difference. Or, or listen to that guy. He's just trying to control and manipulate you. You know what? For a long time when it came to preaching about the church, I was nervous. I'm like, man, you can't put too much pressure on people. You can't, you can't poke them too much about this because you don't want to offend people. You don't want them to get hurt. But what I realize that when I'm asking you to be planted and committed and get involved, that I'm really doing you a favor because your life and your purpose and your destiny is tied up in this. And if you don't like me, it's okay. I'm still going to love you. And I'm believing God's great things for your life. But it takes us saying, you know what? God, help me to put my heart into this. You see, all in doesn't mean that you're here 24-7. All in means that your heart is God, how can I be used? How can I make a difference? And that you obey the leading of the Holy Spirit.